Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. The coronavirus. One year later. In-depth coverage on Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. It is one year later, and... We are still here at KSL News Radio. You're listening to Inside Sources. Uh, great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, and uh, a fascinating uh, hour that we've had thus far. Uh, of course, beginning with the uh, regular weekly press conference uh, by Governor Spencer Cox and his team, uh, where we uh, get a, a really good indication of where things are and uh, what's coming next, and uh, a lot of good news uh, on the horizon for sure as things can continue to shift. Uh, and we start to really open things up in a uh, bigger and bolder way. Uh, so a lot of good information there. Uh, we'll continue to break that down here on KSL News Radio throughout the day today. We're also standing by. Uh, President Joe Biden uh, was expected to sign the $1.9 trillion aid package, uh, stimulus relief, uh, at uh, 1130, but that has not happened as yet. They're running a little behind schedule. And this is an interesting one from a messaging standpoint. Uh, initially, uh, President Biden was was slated to sign that bill tomorrow uh, on Friday morning. He was going to sign that bill into law uh, after it has passed uh, the House, the Senate, and then back to the House for a few tweaks uh, and now is on the president's desk. Uh, so it's interesting to me that first that they changed uh, the signing from Friday to Thursday. There's always a reason for that. Uh, we know that the president is scheduled to speak to the nation tonight, his first uh, national address from the Oval Office, as I understand it, uh, and that will be later this evening. And so part of my communications guy brain is going through all the scenarios that the uh, communication strategists in the White House are uh, calculating today, uh, as it is this important one-year mark uh, in the pandemic. Uh, this is obviously a very big package in terms of the uh, aid, uh, much of it focused on uh, the coronavirus uh, and a whole lot of it that is not. Uh, and so that's going to be uh, debated and broken down as we move things along. Uh, but it will be interesting to see what the president's message is. And I, I'm wondering and speculating and uh, checking with some sources that if the reason for moving this forward was that they want to start to make a pivot uh, pivots are always important in an administration or in a political office of any kind. And it sort of seemed a little odd to me anyway that the president would give a primetime speech to the nation uh, and not have the bill signed yet. It would sort of be uh, there's kind of some leftovers going on there that would uh, trickle into the following day. Uh, it makes it harder for the president to say, relief is here, that help is here, uh, if he hadn't actually signed the bill, because it actually wouldn't be there until he puts ink on the paper uh, and puts his signature there. So I'm guessing that's part of it. I also think the administration is starting to worry about their messaging around what's happening at the border, uh, that there is a surge uh, of people coming across the border, uh, and that story can spin out uh, very swiftly. It uh, doesn't matter which administration it is, uh, Republican or Democrat. Uh, this The border issues are the border issues. 
uh, and the American people react to those issues. And I think the administration is hoping that they can pivot onto a message of what they're doing to get things under control, make sure they're keeping families together, make sure they're dealing with children in a positive and productive way. And so I'm I am just speculating that perhaps the president wants to pivot uh, messaging uh, and that he will do that. My guess is during his primetime address tonight, he will begin with the pandemic. He will begin with where we are. Uh, he will talk about the uh, $1,400 checks that will begin going out uh, before the end of the month. Uh, and and will really focus on a lot of those positive elements uh, from the $1.9 trillion package. Then I think he will pivot. He will talk about the border and immigration, what needs to happen there. And then I think he will continue to move on uh, into the economy and uh, jobs and that uh, it's time for American business to pick up. Uh, it's time for people to fully engage uh, in the economy. And I think he will encourage that. I think he will encourage people to take their uh, $1,400 check or, again, you can add that up for a family and use it, uh, not just retire some debt, not just put it into savings, but to engage it in the economy. I think there will be some words from the president uh, around that messaging as well. Uh, so again, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been uh, doing a little bit of a dance today with uh, both the press conference from Governor Spencer Cox, and we're now tap dancing a little bit, waiting for President Biden uh, to step out and sign the $1.9 trillion rescue bill, uh, as they have dubbed it. So we'll we'll go to that live uh, when it comes up. A couple thoughts just to to round out uh, the week for us uh, as we move through this uh, moment. Uh, I think there are a lot of lessons that uh, we have learned over the past year. I think there are some, not only some lessons learned, but I think there are some things that have been exposed in, in terms of where we are as a nation. I think it's easy to talk about unity. Uh, it's much harder to do unity. Uh, and it's easy to talk about uh, rights and protections. Uh, it's much harder to give them. And so often what we see is we see free speech uh, going one direction, not the other. We see tolerance going one direction, not the other. Uh, and it has exposed, in my view, uh, that for far too long we have been outsourcing uh, so many of the critical pieces of our society. And outsourcing just is never going to cut it. Uh, I have seen this over and over and over again in the business world when companies outsource uh, everything from their systems and operations to, uh, you know, hiring myriads of consultants to do things that could be done in-house. Uh, it's never a good sign because what you often lose in all of that is the soul of the organization. And you can check boxes and you can have a lot of activity. But to me, the it's it's not about the motion. It's about forward movement. Uh, and the same is true when it comes to our society. Uh, we've been outsourcing a whole lot of things. Here's some here's some quick hit examples of what's happening in the outsourcing department. Uh, Congress has been outsourcing their legislative duties to the executive branch uh, for a very long time. And again, I don't care if you're a on the left side of the aisle, the right side of the aisle, or in the middle of the aisle. This is an equal opportunity offender. Uh, Congress has been outsourcing their job to the executive branch for way, way too long. Uh, we also have communities around the country who have been outsourcing their responsibility to to care for the poor and needy, to, to government agencies. We see many parents outsourcing the teaching of, of values and principles and character and morality uh, to schools and, and to the marketplace. 
And the the list goes on and on and on of what we've been outsourcing. And the thing I'm here to tell you is that you cannot outsource the soul of society. Uh, it cannot be done. You can spend all kinds of money on it. You can create all kinds of programs around it. You can have all kinds of debates and shouting matches and social media rants uh, with it. But it will not change the fact that it is a we the people issue. Uh, I've been saying it a lot lately. We the people must be the people. We have to be the truth. We have to have integrity. We have to be the ones who are standing up and speaking out. We have to be the ones who are coming together. We have to be the ones to not just shout at our enemies or shout against those that we disagree with. We have to be the ones standing up to our friends and saying, that's not right. That's not who we are. That's not how we have this conversation. And we, we have to get back to that. You simply cannot outsource these critical components of our society. The market can't do it, and the government can't do it. Now, both the market and the government have roles to play, to be sure. They have important roles to play. But it's up to us. And our if there's anything that we should take away from a year of pandemic is how critical our connections are to each other that community matters, that families matter, that neighborhoods matter. We've recognized and we we see why we are so fractured. The pandemic didn't cause a whole lot of the problems that we have. It exposed a lot of the weaknesses in our system. We have allowed the muscle of community and society to atrophy. It's too easy to just say, oh, well, the government will fix that. Washington will solve that. Somebody in some marbled hall will make that right. Or somebody with a cell phone and a pen will do it with an executive order. The reality, the reality is it is always been and it always will be up to us. So we can complain about a lot of different things. And as you know, I can be pretty pessimistic about some of our politics and some of our politicians across the political spectrum. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, even on days like today, especially on days like today, uh, as we mark these kinds of things, uh, I've never been more bullish about the future of the country. And the reason... I can be so confident about where the country is going is because I live in this place called Utah. We're not perfect. We have lots of faults and flaws, warts and things that need to be fixed and solved and lots of crucial conversations to be had. But there is a model here. There is a way of doing things here that works. And no one, no city, no state anywhere is better positioned to lead out of a pandemic than Utah. Come along for the ride. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources today. And as always, as you go out into the world, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something today that makes a difference. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.